You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. All right, Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 32. Follow along as I read. Everyone needs a little bit of encouragement once in a while. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the pieces of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who was by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Ben, would you pray for us, please, Vincent? Here in this passage of scripture, we are introduced to a gentleman by the name of Barnabas. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Barnabas. There's a few passages of scripture where he is mentioned. But I'll tell you what, we can learn a whole lot from this guy. Because he was called by the apostles the son of consolation. He was an encourager. He was an exhorter. He was one that would come alongside and console people who were hurting and who were troubled. The word encouragement means to give courage. Encouragement. Got it? To give courage to someone. Don't quit. Keep on going. Don't give up. You give courage to others. It means to increase the confidence of another person. It means to encourage a person in being successful. It means to give strength, to embolden, to inspire. A person who is an encourager, you would say, that man or that woman is such an inspiration. I like what I heard several years ago. Either you are an energy taker or you are an energy giver. What kind of person are you? Barnabas, without a doubt, was an energy giver. He was an encourager. He was also an exhorter. An exhorter means someone who obviously encourages someone, cheers people up, gives sound advice and counsel, gives strength, spirit, and courage. He was encouraged him not to quit. He was an encourager. He was an exhorter. He was also one that brought consolation to others. It's interesting that our King James Version of the Bible, the word for exhortation is the same word as consolation. 
The exactly same word translated differently based upon the context and where that word is found. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 28, it says, But Moses charged Joshua and encouraged him and strengthened him. Got that? That encouragement gave him strength. That he should go before this people and shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So we have these words encouragement. We have the word exhortation. We have the word consolation. Those three words perfectly describe this man by the name of Barnabas. He was a great encourager. And as you read about him... It appears to me that he took every opportunity that God would bring his way to encourage people. That's why the apostles gave him the name Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. But they gave him the name Barnabas. It was his surname, or we would say it was his nickname. It was a name, a surname means a name that was attributed to him because he had a certain characteristic about him. What was his characteristic? To encourage others. Here's a person that seems a little bit down. He comes alongside and he encourages a person like that. How many of you have ever needed a word of encouragement? Well, we all do. We all do. That's why he was called the son of consolation. That's what the word Barnabas means, the son of consolation. As I think about Barnabas and I study him here in the scriptures and the few passages that uh, we're going to look at this morning about him, in my estimation, he had that spiritual gift of exhortation. If you want to take your Bible, turn there to Romans chapter 12. Keep your place here in the book of Acts, but turn to Romans chapter 12. And we'll pick up with verse 5 through verse 8. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5 through 8, we find seven gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Now, how many of you here have accepted Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Why don't you slip your hand up, all right? How many of you here have a spiritual gift given to you by God himself? Can I see your hand? All right, now, not as many hands went up as went up for the first time. Now, if you are saved and born again, a blood-washed saint, part of the family of God, the Bible tells us that God has given to every one of you a spiritual gift. Now, why does God give us certain aptitudes, certain gifts? Why does he do that? That we would, what? Use those gifts to minister to others. So we don't all have the same gifts. There's a diversity of gifts, the Bible says. But every one of us have a gift that has been given to us by God, by the Holy Spirit. There are seven of those gifts mentioned here in Romans chapter 12, verse 5 to verse 8. Follow along as I read and see if you can pick them out. So we being many, talking about the body of Christ are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. It's so important to be a member of a local, independent, Bible-believing, fundamental church. Amen. 
Get connected with a church. Become a member of a local church so you can use the gifts that God has given you in and through the ministry of that church. So we being many, verse 5, are one body in Christ and every member one of another. Having the gifts differing, we're all different in the gifts God has given us, according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, number one, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, also called the gift of helps in other passages of Scripture. Let, let us wait on ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, that is also called the gift of administration or organization in other passages. With diligence, he that showeth mercy with what? Cheerfulness. So here we have it. Let's look back at the text. What is the first gift mentioned? Prophecy. What's the second gift? Ministry. Third gift. Teaching. Fourth gift. Exhortation. Fifth gift, giving. Sixth gift, ruling. And the last gift, I'll never forget when I was at a pastor's conference in Detroit in Ford uh, Arena. And there was about 2,000 pastors that were there. And the question was asked, we, we had a, a session on spiritual gift. The question was asked, how many of you pastors here uh, have the gift of prophecy? And I mean like half the hands went up. Said, okay, how many of you pastors here have the gift of teaching? Oh, a whole bunch of hands went up. How many of you have the gift of exhortation? Oh, a bunch of hands went up. How many of you have the gift of giving? No hands went up. <laughs> they went through, how many have the gift of mercy? And just a few hands went up. It was kind of funny, we all laughed. But here, Barnabas had the gift, mentioned here, the gift of exhortation. The gift of encouragement. Uh, now, Exhortation is not my spiritual gift. Have you noticed that? Mercy is not my spiritual gift. Have you noticed that? Giving is not my spiritual gift. Organization certainly is not my spiritual gift. And any of you that have sat under my ministry for any period of time, you know what my spiritual gift is. What is it? It's teaching. Not a prophet's teaching. And the Bible said we're to wholly give ourselves unto that gift. But does that mean because my gift is teaching, does that mean that I should not be merciful? Or I should not try to be organized? Or I shouldn't give? No, it doesn't mean that. It simply means that that's an aptitude that the Lord has given to me is the ability to teach. Now, just because you may not be an exhorter doesn't mean that you should not be exhorting other people. Give me an Amen. You know, the real truth of this is we should be so mature in our Christian life that when people look at us, they can't figure out what our spiritual gift is because we just have such a balance across the board. I haven't gotten there yet, but uh, I'm working on that. But we need to be encouragers. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Not just for the exhorter, but for all of us. Edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through verse 25. Let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and good works. 
Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25. Heaviness in the heart maketh man to stoop, but a good word maketh him glad. Proverbs 25 verse 11. I love this. I love this uh, verse. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Just when you see someone discouraged, to come along and just give them a word of encouragement is like apples of gold in a beautiful vessel of silver. So Barnabas was given his nickname or given his surname by the apostles, which means the son of consolation. It was added to him or given to him simply because of the man that he was always looking for an opportunity to encourage each other. Okay, now, knowing all that, kind of set the preface to where I'm going to go in the message here. I had no idea that I was going to preach this morning. We had a missionary coming. Remember that? He called yesterday, and uh, he said, I'm down here in Marietta, Ohio. We have had massive flooding. The roads are closed. I can't get out. I have to cancel my meeting with you tomorrow. And so I had no message planned for today. I was looking forward to hearing our missionary from Papua New Guinea preach. And so last night, my wife asked me what I was preaching on. Still trying to figure that out. And so, I'm going to be honest with you, we've had a rough week. We've had a rough week. We've had some real heartaches that have happened this week in our lives. And I want to tell you something. I am so... So blessed when people just come alongside and just encourage you during those times when things aren't going too good. I'm glad we could be an encouragement to the Klima family. They needed us to encourage them to tremendous loss. And we all need to rally around one another and to encourage one another. And so I began to look at Barnabas's life and there were five things that just, boom, stood out to me about this man to where they would nickname him the Son of Consolation. So let's look at his life as recorded for us here in the book of Acts. The first thing that I see is right here in this passage of Scripture. And I want you to write these five things down. I don't think it'll take us a long time to get through this today. But I saw that he was an encouragement to others by practicing biblical stewardship. He was an encouragement to others by practicing biblical stewardship. Now you may be sitting there right now and saying, okay, what is biblical stewardship? Biblical stewardship is this, recognizing that everything that you have, whether it be your time, whether it be your talents, whether it be your possessions, whether it be your wealth, I don't care. But everything that you have belongs to who? It belongs to God. Look at what it says here in verse 32 of that chapter we start out in, verse 4. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. There was no division there within the church. Neither said any of them that the ought of things which he possessed was his own. Now listen to me, that is not socialism. 
I've heard some Bernie Sanders supporters go to the Bible and the book of Acts and use passages like this and tell us that the Bible teaches socialism. The Bible doesn't teach socialism. The Bible teaches capitalism. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But when he sees a brother hath need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That's not socialism. That's not the government taking your hard-earned resources and then giving it out to the people. What it is is you working for the things that God has given you and blessed you with and then seeing a need and sacrificially giving to meet that need. What does it say here that Barnabas did? Look at verse 37. It said, having land, this is talking about Barnabas, having land, what did he do? Now, what do people say is the best investment that you can make? God only made so much of it. So you always hear the best investment you can make is in property. It always increases in value, at least till 2008 it did. But obviously, Barnabas had made some good investments. He wasn't a poor man. He owned property. And having land, what did he do with the land? He sold it. Now, church, are you with me? Why did he sell his property? Because there was others who had a greater need than him holding on to his property. And because he was a son of consolation, because he was an encourager, God moved in his heart, moved it with compassion that he would take his property... Did you hear that, church? He would take his property and sell that investment. And then he brought it and laid the money at the feet of the apostles so they could take it and made distribution to those who had need at this time. But whosoever hath this world's goods and seeth his brother hath need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I'm going to tell you something. This man was full of the love of God. Yes, he had the gift of exhortation. Yes, he was a very compassionate man. But he was full of the love of God that he would get rid of his property, his investment. And he would give it to meet the need of someone else who had a greater need than he did. Maybe you're here today and, and this thought came across my mind. You're saying, well, you know what, Pastor? I'm not rich. I don't own properties and lands. I really don't have anything that I could sell. I guess this passage doesn't apply to me. All right, stop. If the widow could give her might, I'm sure there's something that you have that you could give to a brother or sister in need when God would prompt you to do so. Amen? Now, I don't know how much a mite was. I heard some commentator I read years ago said a mite was the value of about a third of a penny. You can't even buy penny candy anymore. But a third of a penny isn't much, but it's all that she had, and she gave it to the Lord. Often I believe the Lord prompts us to give 
when we see a brother or sister in need, we just don't what? We just don't do it. I dare say there's not one of us in this room that when we've heard of needs that have arisen within the body of Christ have ever even thought about selling our properties. That, that would not even cross our mind. We may think, oh, I have a little bit extra in the bank. But we wouldn't even think to going to that kind of extent. He practiced biblical stewardship. Who did that property belong to? It wasn't his. He was only a steward of what God had given him. And when God prompted him to give it, it wasn't his to give it. It belonged to the Lord. Do we really think that way? Do we really think that our homes and our properties and our cars and our house and, and our bank accounts and our investments, that they all belong to the Lord, that we have no right to them other than that which the Lord gives us? And if the Lord were to ask them of us, that we would just freely give them to the Lord? I'm not sure we think that way. I think most of us would think, you know what, I really don't have a whole lot to give to him. Now, listen to this passage of Scripture. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Now listen to this. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Now wait a minute. If you are in deep poverty, poverty, what in the world do you have to give to the Lord? How many of you would say if you were in deep poverty, you cannot give liberally? I would say that. Wouldn't you say that? Deep poverty to me means that I cannot even meet my own needs. That's deep poverty. If I cannot meet my own needs, how in the world can I give liberally to someone else who has need? How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So in poverty, they gave liberally. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and then unto us by the will of God. What did they say there in the churches of Macedonia? We're extremely poor. We can't even meet our own needs, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to just give ourselves to the Lord, and if the Lord would bless us and give us something that we could meet the needs of these people, we'll give it right back to him. And did the Lord do it? Abounded unto the riches of their liberality. It's not that we have to have a lot. It's that we need to be willing to do with what the Lord has given us and be good stewards of that. It's amazing what God can do. If you truly do not have anything to give back to the Lord, 
Let me encourage you with this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 3. And I, w- I wish I had time to read the whole thing, but I don't. But it's Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 10. We find that Peter and John come across a lame man who was brought there to the temple, to the gate that was called Beautiful. And he was brought there every day. This man could not walk. He was completely lame. Peter and John approach him. And he's laying there. And the Bible says they fixed their eyes on him and said, man, look at us. And that lame man looked up at them expecting that they were going to give him some money. And Peter and John looked at that lame man. How many of you remember what they said? Silver, silver and gold have I. A guy must say, oh, great. But such as I what? Such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said strength came into his ankles. And he rose up, leaping and praising God. That was better than any money they could have dropped in the tin can. But the the point was, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. I believe we all have something we could give back to the Lord if he would prompt us to do it. Amen? Yeah. Do you think for a moment, do you think that when Barnabas went and sold his property and brought that money and laid it at the apostles' feet, do you think those who had need were greatly encouraged? Do you think those that saw the needs being met were greatly encouraged? That's why he said he was just an encourager. He practiced biblical stewardship. Number two. The second thing I noticed about Barnabas was that he extended friendship to others. He extended friendship to others. Take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we find the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now, what was Paul's name before he was called Paul? No, it wasn't. I knew I'd get you. That's how I would have answered it. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 9, that Saul had two names. One of his names were what? Saul. And his other name was Paul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. Somehow, Paul's, Saul's, same guy, parents who were Jewish were able to secure Roman citizenship. Now that hardly ever happened that a Jew could have Roman citizenship. But Paul's parents did. And so they gave him a Jewish name, which was what? Come on, was what? Saul. They gave him a Roman name, which was Paul. While, Paul. while Saul was ministering to the Jews, his name was Saul. When he turned and started ministering to the Gentiles, his name was Paul. And so that's how we find him having two names here. But we read in Acts chapter 9 about his salvation, his conversion to Christ, 
on the road to Damascus. Paul had been an arch enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. He actually, in this passage here in chapter 9, was headed to Damascus to do what? Arrest the Christians that were there. To take both men and women and lock them up into prison. You may also remember that in Acts chapter 7, who was the first Christian to be, per, to, uh, to be stoned to death? Stephen. Stephen. First Christian martyr. Who gave their consent to the stoning of Stephen? Saul. Who held the coats of those who picked up the stones and killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr? Who did that? Saul. So here he is now on the road to Damascus. Meets up with the Lord Jesus. You know the story. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He didn't believe in Jesus till then. And Paul gets, Saul gets gloriously saved. Now, did the early church immediately accept him and embrace him and bring him into the fellowship? Listen to what they said. Look at verse 26 and 27. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem and assailed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. What's the next word? But, next word, Barnabas. But Barnabas, what did Barnabas do? Barnabas extends friendship to the Apostle Paul. Barnabas actually stands up and defends the Apostle Paul. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. If Barnabas would not have been there to come to Paul's defense and say he truly is a beloved brother in the Lord, he would not have been accepted by the church. The ministry of the Apostle Paul would never have taken place if he would not have had that man that extended friendship to him. You know why some people come to church? Why do they come? They don't come to church to hear this preacher. They don't come because they heard we have good music here. They don't come because they saw a sign out front saying independent, fundamental, Bible-believing. Most people don't even know what that means. Some people see fundamentally they think we're terrorists. Why do people, for the most part, come to church? They're looking for a friend. They're going through a hard time. They're reaching out. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for someone to help them. Maybe, just maybe, they haven't found it in the world, and they're not going to find it in the world. Just maybe we will find it in the church. We need Barnabases all over the church. To make people feel welcome, to make people feel accepted. If a man wants friends, 
He needs to show himself friendly. Barnabas was that kind of guy. When no one else wanted to befriend the Apostle Paul, he was right there to do it. So he exercised biblical stewardship. He extended friendship to others. The third thing that I noticed here about Barnabas is that he had a way of bringing people together. He had a way of bringing people together. At this time, there was tremendous resentment and tremendous prejudice and segregation going on between the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Samaritans. The Jews couldn't stand the Gentiles. The Gentiles couldn't stand the what? The Jews. And neither one of them liked the Samaritans. Extreme division was going on here. So we come across another episode in Barnabas' life and his ministry at the church of Antioch where he saw these segregated people and using his gift sought to bring them together. Let me give you a little, i gotta move, I got to go quickly here. Let me give you a little bit of history. Through the ministry of Peter, revival had broken out in the north. Especially around the area of Antioch. People were getting saved left and right. Well, that was a Gentile area. When the Jewish church at Jerusalem heard that all these Gentiles were being saved, they said, Barnabas, you need to go check out what's going on up there among the Gentiles. We hear that they're getting saved. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through verse 30. I am going to take time to read this. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through verse 30. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto who? The Grecians. You see the division? So, some of them wouldn't even preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They would only share the gospel with Jewish people. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number, a great number of Gentiles believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, whom when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, the Jewish brethren which also they did, and sent it 
to the elders by the hands of who? Barnabas and Saul. What in the world is all going on here? Okay, let me tell you. Barnabas took this opportunity that God had given to him to encourage the Jews and the Gentiles to accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. What does the Bible say? There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither bond nor free. We are all one in Christ. Barnabas understood this. Listen here. Hey, up here. We all know baby. Wow, you got a handful. That is one talented mother there. But there was that division between the Jews and between the Gentiles. Barnabas hated division, right? Because what is he? He's the son of consolation. He is an encourager. He is an exhorter. So he sees these facts. You know, I was thinking about this. I guess we could call him the Martin Luther King Jr. of his day. That he saw this division and he understood God is no respecter of person. This is not right. That we have a Jewish faction and we have a Gentile faction. We need to get together. So he saw that the grace of God was at work in the Gentile church, just as it was in the Jewish church. And he said to the Jews, listen, we need to get together. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. He encouraged then the Gentile church to take an offering for the Jewish church because the Jews were experiencing what? Dearth. What a great idea, right? That's an idea that exhorted would have. Here's the Jewish church. They need help. They need financial help. Here's the Gentile church up here. Financially, we can do something for them. So he encourages the Gentile church to take an offering and give it to the Jewish church. What does it do when you meet each other's needs? What does it do? It brings you together, doesn't it? So he stands up and he says, listen, we need to get together. Here's one way to get together. We can do it this way. Go over to chapter 15. In chapter 15, this division is still taking place within the church. I know I probably lost a lot of you here. But Paul and Barnabas have since we picked them up, have been sent out on a missionary journey. The church of Antioch has been established. They come back to the church of Antioch to give a report of how their mission endeavors went. And that's in chapter 14, verse 26 through verse 28. And they stayed there ministering in the church at Antioch for a long time. Some say probably a couple years. Now drop down to chapter 15 and verse 1. Are you with me? Say amen. Now that I've confused you all. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea. Now, if you have a map, where is Judea? It's here. Where is Antioch? It's up here. We would say they went up, but the Bible says they came down. You say, why is that? Because 
It's of the elevation of land. Antioch was lower than uh, Judea. And so they were going down. It's just a little bit confusing there. So they go down. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, now watch this. Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot, what? Way, ho, hold it. What was the gospel that Peter had preached when revival broke out in Antioch? Salvation by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. That was the message Peter preached. Many were saved. Following Peter was Barnabas and Paul. What were they preaching? Salvation by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. Now, there's people coming into the church just saying, wait a minute. You're not saved by grace through faith unless you get circumcised. I don't know about the women. I guess they can't get saved. <laughs> now, is that a false doctrine? It would be very similar to someone coming into this church... Let's say I'm out of the pulpit. Someone else comes to this church and says, you know what, Pastor White always preached you're saved by grace through faith. And you know what, that's okay. But to really complete your salvation, you have to be baptized. Now, do you have to be baptized to complete your salvation? Of course not. Now, look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas confronted this teaching, they had no small what? Dissension and disputation. What does that mean? It means they were in the face of these false teachers. And they were arguing them down. Now, the whole chapter. i got to tell it to you because I don't have time. It's already 10 after. So here's this false teaching that is coming to the church. Now, do you think that was dividing the church again? They got past the Jew and Gentile thing. Now there was this division within the church. Paul and Barnabas stand up and they, they're arguing that down. Some of them said, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to take this matter all the way back to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem council, to all the apostles that are down there and to the elders that are down there. We need to bring this issue down there and let them resolve this issue. So they go. And they have this council, okay? All the apostles are there, the elders are there, and the church was there listening to this argument going on as to do the Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Peter speaks out. Peter's there at this meeting. He speaks out, I mean, he gives it to them. He said, no, they are saved by grace through faith. They're saved the same way we're saved. We're not saved by works. Then Paul and Barnabas stand up. And they give their account. And then after, the, after this was all heard, James, who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, says, you know what? Peter's right. Paul is right. And Barnabas is right. We are saved by grace. We are saved the same way as they are saved. And so Paul and Barnabas says, will you guys write a letter that we can take back to the church at Antioch and read to them that will state that this is not a doctrine of Scripture. 
And that you do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So a letter was penned. It was given to Paul and Barnabas. They go back to the church in Antioch. They gather together the believers there in Antioch. And they start to read this, this letter to them. Now go with me to verse 31. Which when they had read, they what? Rejoiced. This is chapter 15, verse 31. Which when they had read this letter, they rejoiced for the, what's the word? Consolation. Do you think the men at Antioch were greatly relieved that they didn't have to be circumcised? Keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We find Barnabas' stewardship. We find his friendship. We find him bringing people together. And I have to stop. There's two more things that I mean just, I can't even go there because time will not allow me to. So I want to leave you with this. Let's all be a little bit more like Barnabas. Amen? Amen. That when we see that there's need, when we see that people are divided, when people are upset with each other, that we would just come in and, and do our best to bring people together in Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.